Thank you for joining the Home Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at myhomechurch.org. All right, so I'm going to ask that you uh, turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16. We're going to go through a few scriptures. And um, these next two weeks, we're going to actually speak into the same topic. And it's a, uh, it's a, it's a topic that there's a lot swirling around it. <laughs> uh, if, unless you've been living under a rock, which I assume none of you are, uh, in a week and a half, our nation will uh, have a, an opportunity to decide on who will be our next uh, president of the United States. And uh, this is a, an extremely important moment in the history of this nation. And uh, it's, a, it's, just, it's a very, um, it's just a significant moment that we're living in right now. And, and I really felt on my heart that we need to take some time over these next two weeks to really speak into this this topic of, of God and government. And believe it or not, the scriptures speak at length to this issue. And I feel that one of the traps of the enemy is, is whenever something gets really divisive and there's a lot going on, the easy thing is, well, let's just stay away from it. Let, let's just not speak into it. But the reality is, is there's an elephant in the room then. We all know it's coming. We all know that there's voices out there. And really what we need as Christians is we need to get before God and his word. Like we need heaven's wisdom right now on, on, on what, uh, you know, what we should be doing as we approach election day. And, and more than that, just the way that we relate to, to government, like we really need God's word um, and his, his wisdom on this. So uh, uh, over these next two weeks, we're going we're gonna to dive into this topic. And um, I really think it's going to be really good for us. <laughs> I do. Uh, Psalm 119.25 says, revive me according to your word. Like we're pretty, the nation's pretty sick right now. We need to be revived according to the word of God. We need more than, because of how just unstable this political climate is, we need more than just, um, we need more than than just news outlets informing us of what we should be doing. We need more than social media. We need more than our own personal political convictions. Like that's got to be put aside. We need the word of God, the truth of God, and we need to be revived according to his word. And God has much to say on how we as Christians relate to government, how we as Christians um, honor, this, uh, honor this institution, but also um, how we are to see that God is above all these things. All right, so this is kind of where we're going to be going for the next two weeks. I want to speak into Matthew chapter 16. I, like I said, I'm going to share a few different scriptures with you. My chief concern, my chief concern is where we stand in Christ and where we stand as a body as we move into this, okay? And... Um, the way we're going to do this is I felt God lead to, to present four questions to us, four questions that we need to be wrestling through as we prepare our hearts for what's about to take place in a week and a half. And three of those questions we're actually going to get into next week. We're just going to look at one question this week. Why did I do that? One, just practically too much information, but not just that. We need to take time. Like, I really want to exalt Jesus through the topic of government. I want us to see a king who's seated in victory above every other earthly king. And so before we get into, and I want to just be super clear, if you're here today and you miss next week, you're not going to see the full picture. Because I'm going to exhort us and tell us the importance of uh, the freedom that we've been given, the grace we've been given to have a say in our governmental leaders. The scriptures have a lot to say. So let me be clear, that's important. 
Uh, we're going to get into practical things to consider. But before we get into that, I felt God say, first, we need to just take a moment and really, like, see Jesus rightly. We need to see, like, his government first and how every other earthly government comes underneath that. And, um, again, I really think this is going to be so, so beneficial. So um, this first question, we're going to work through four questions, just one today. This first question, I believe, is the most important because not only does it shift our perspective for this election, it, shifts, it can shift our position for eternity. All right? So here's the first question. Next week we'll do the next three and we'll get into the practical things. The first question that we need to answer as we come into election day is who has my heart? Who has my heart? It is the most important question that we can be asking. What do I mean? I mean who or where do I put my ultimate trust? Where is my ultimate hope? Where is my ultimate allegiance? Like who do I actually look to? Who, who, who do I anchor myself in in this season? And, and I feel that um, this is, every time we come to election, as long as I've been alive, we say it's, it's the most important election, right? <laughs> and honestly, there's probably a measure of truth. So, so as many of years you've been alive, you've probably heard that. But I, I actually believe that this really could be one of the more important elections that we've ever had, right? And why? First off, there is genuine concern for this nation. Like, people are here today because we, I love my country. I do. I love the freedoms that we have. We want to see those things. And so there is genuine passion to see the, the, uh, um, the well-being of our nation. You couple that with the fact that we have some serious issues that are swirling around in this hour. And what I feel is because of all of these things that are going on, there's a lot of weight that's being placed on this one day. And the, what I feel is happening, even within the church, is there's almost a panic we're panicked by the prospect of our candidate not getting into office. We're filled with worry and fear, like what will happen to us? What will happen to the church if our candidate does not get in? Is that the end of the church then, right? Is, is, is that the end? And I just feel like there's another way that we can approach this, and that's what I want to see big picture today. It's important. We're going to get into We steward that. But, guys, before we get into it, we need to step back and say, wait a minute. Like we need to get into the word and see rightly who Jesus is and see who, we're really, uh, who we really serve, right? So is there a way to enter into next or two Tuesdays um, free of worry, free of worry over the outcome? Is there a way that we don't have to lose out on our peace? And I just began to think about this and I said, you know what, it's interesting. If you right now were to go to other places in the world... There are Christians right now who are living under totalitarian Muslim regimes who have outlawed conversion to Christianity. You can't even mention the name Jesus without being imprisoned or even facing a threat of your very own life. And I was reading a testimony of one couple who when I heard them speaking, I saw the joy of the Lord. I saw the peace of God upon them. There was no worry. There was no anxiety. They're discussing how the gospel is going forth. The kingdom of God is expanding. They're living in the abundant life. And they wouldn't dare put their hope in the government because their government is their greatest adversary. <laughs> now, what's my point? Do I hope that we look like that nation? Of course not. But my point is that even if we come under a totalitarian regime that says Christianity is outlawed, guess what? They cannot take the abundant life from us because it is rooted in Jesus. And as Christians, we've just got to come up a little bit higher and have a different voice in this hour than saying, man, I don't know what's going to happen to the church if, we don't, if our guy doesn't get in. That's, that's just nowhere in the scriptures. And I want to read Matthew 16 with you. There's a few different scriptures I want to share with you, but Matthew 16 is where I want to start because I feel like there's a lot of concern 
And I know it comes from a good place, but I want to put your heart at peace. There's a lot of concern of what's going to happen to the church. What can happen to the church depending on these results? And Jesus, he, he sat down with his disciples in Matthew 16. And he asked them and he said, who do the people say that I am? Who do the people say that I am? And they responded as they sat with Jesus and they said, you know, some say you're John the Baptist. They heard, they heard the, 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 uh, the discussions that were circling around in town. Some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah. Some say you're Jeremiah. Some say you're prophets. Caesar was worshiping today. You're not just a man. You're not just a prophet. But they had said, he's just like one of these guys. And, and he, Jesus, looks at the disciples and says, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And listen what happens. Simon Peter, verse 16 of Matthew 16. Simon Peter replied, he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, verse 17. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And you ready? Verse 18. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. <laughs> Simon Peter, what's the one thing that we need to know? What's the one thing necessary for the church of God to be built and where the gates of hell cannot even prevail against it? Does Jesus say that that, that is contingent on a specific candidate or, or political uh, party being in office? Has nothing to do with it, guys. And I get the significance, and we're going to get into that. But listen to me. We've got to just set our heights, our sight a little bit higher. Jesus says, Simon, right here on this rock I'll build my church. Why? I build my church not on who's unpowered, has nothing to do with it. I build my church where there is a right revelation of who I am. Simon, you know that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God, and therefore right here I will build my church, and nothing will be able to stop it. This is why as a church we have great hope no matter what happens in the future, no matter what it looks like. Why? As long as we continually come before the presence of God, see him rightly, know who he is, and live according to those truths, Jesus says no matter what happens, the church will never go away. You say, can you prove that? Look at the book of Acts. The Roman government came against the church. Guess what happened? It exploded even more. The apostle Paul tried to come against the church. Guess what? He wanted being converted to the church. Nero in 70 AD said, I'm going to wipe out the church. Guess what happened? They couldn't do it. You fast forward today. The Boko Haram in, 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 in Nigeria, which I have been, have tried to annihilate the church. But Christianity keeps on exploding. You fast forward to go over to Asia, you have King Jong-un in North Korea. He can't stop the underground church. China can't stop the underground church. Go to the Middle East, ISIS and Al-Qaeda try to take out the church. They can't do it. They can't stop individuals from having dreams of a man dressed in white and they're having encounters with Christ. So no matter who stands in office in our government, the church will go forth. And as Christians, we steward this responsibility, we take it very seriously, but we know no matter what happens, we're going to keep pursuing Jesus, the kingdom's going to keep going forth, and we're going to see revelation in the end, the church is going to be a victorious bride with Christ. That's the voice that needs to be coming forth. That's the voice that needs to be coming forth. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 7, a prophecy of Jesus of which we are living in today, it says that when the Messiah would come, it says of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. 
He has come. His government, his kingdom will know no end, guys. So this is our hope. We don't need to come into a selection with worry, fear. Like no matter what happens, Jesus sits on the throne so our hearts can be at peace, rest. We can experience joy. I can't say this enough. Are we hoping to be like nations that don't have our freedoms? No. But at the same time, we know no matter what happens, we can still walk in what Jesus has made available because nothing can stop that. Turn with me to uh, Revelation chapter 4. I'm just going to share a few different scriptures with you guys today, and then we're going to pray. Revelation chapter 4. Who has my heart? (laughs) I just want us to get anchored in, in seeing our full hope, trust, allegiance in Jesus. Revelation chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. A few months ago, we went through uh, Revelation 4 and 5. We touched on this a little bit, but I I just want to break this open. It's so important for the hour that we are in. Revelation chapter 4, I'm going to read the first or the the second half of the first verse and then verse 2. This is John exiled in the island of Patmos, but he has an incredible encounter with Jesus. And listen to what, this is the voice of Jesus speaking to John. And I believe it's, it's, it's a similar voice that is speaking today of what he wants from the church. And it says this, Jesus says to John, come up here, come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. In verse 2, here's John, it says, at once I was in the spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. Jesus says, John, come up higher. And by the Spirit, John comes up higher. I believe the Holy Spirit is speaking in this hour to his church to come up higher. Come up off all the news outlets and the distractions that are weighing your heart down. Come up higher and see Jesus, the victorious king, seated on a throne. If you are weighed down by the things that are happening, I encourage you, get away to see the Lord. Get in the word, worship, praise him, get in these prayer sets. And I promise you, the more you see Jesus rightly, you realize nothing can take my peace. Nothing can take my joy. Nothing can take my freedom. For who the Son sets free is free indeed. There are men who are imprisoned for their faith, yet they declare how free they are in the Lord. We could learn something from that. Like, we are blessed right now that we get to even do this. And what's the first thing? Man, we need to come out of that political spirit into the spirit of revelation. Come up higher. What's the first thing that John sees when the Lord takes him up there? He sees what? A throne. He sees a God who's at the center of everything and in control of everything. Why? Because he's seated. You ever notice every time it talks about God on the throne, almost every time it says he's seated. He's not frantic. He's not running around. He's not worried. He's at peace and at rest. And the more we connect with that, we too will be at peace and rest on this earth. He says, I look up and I see a one who is seated on a throne. Do you know what this means? Right now as I speak to you, there is a God sitting on a throne in heaven. And it is high above every principality and power, both from the seen eye and the unseen eye. This throne right now sits above every embassy. It sits above the White House. It sits above the Buckingham Palace. It sits above every governmental structure, and it is unshakable. And even when things are shaking here, this structure can never be shaken. 
And we are invited over and over to continually lock our gaze on this reality so that we will not be shaken either. You have a place that you can run to. God seated on a throne. Lord, what's going to happen? Come and see who I am. Put your heart at rest. You don't need to turn here. Just listen to this. Psalm 11, verse 3 and 4. Psalm 11, verse 3 and 4 says, If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? He's saying, if the righteous experience shaking, where can they turn? Where can they go to? How will they ever be able to overcome that? Verse 4, the very next thing says, the Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. What is the answer when life is being shaken? Get connected with a God seated in victory forever and ever and ever on his throne. Who has my heart? This king does. Because even the best of kings on earth will fail you, but not this king. This king is seated forever. He's the one who has my primary allegiance. Do you know what it says in Isaiah 6? I love this. One of my favorite verses, uh, actually the whole section. Isaiah has a vision. Many believe it's the pre-incarnate Christ. And this is what it says, Isaiah 6, verse 1. It says, in the year that King Uzziah died, <laughs> I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. That imagery of the train of his robe is actually an imagery of victory. The longer your robe, the more victories that you've had. It's the one who's all victorious. But what I love is that it says in the year that King Uzziah died. <laughs> who's King Uzziah? Well, he reigned for 52 years. One of the longest reigns. And outside of Jehoshaphat, since the time of Solomon, he was considered the most prosperous king. The economy flourished. <laughs> Infrastructure was built. The military was strong and had victory. But guess what? At some point, even those men will pass away. Every empire and emperor has a shelf life. At some point, they too will crumble. But when he saw the earthly king die, he saw the heavenly king, the eternal king who sits on the throne forever and ever. Forever and ever, guys. This has got to strike our heart. Presidents will come and go. Leaders will come and go. Nations will come and go, but there's one who's seated on the throne forever and ever and ever, and that is the one that we look to. So important that it, we get rooted in this as we go into voting so that we have the right perspective, right? Again, I say it again. Make sure you're here next week. We'll talk about the importance and the specifics, but this has to take place first. I want you to turn with me to Mark chapter 12. I want to share a few other scriptures. Mark chapter 12. Verses 13 to 17. Mark chapter 12, verses 13 to 17. It's funny, Jesus also said, and I'm just remembering John 16, last verse of John 16, verse 33. He told his disciples, I've told you these things so that you may have peace. And he basically tells them, fear not, you will have tribulation in this world, but I have overcome the world. Very next verse, John 17, it says, and Jesus looked up to heaven and prayed. Jesus himself gave us the example of what you do when you're about to walk through tribulation and hard times. Jesus says, do not be afraid. You'll go through stuff. And then he said, and then he looked up to heaven. He got locked in with the reality of his father who's seated on the throne in heaven. So here's Mark chapter 12. Everyone there, I want you to see this. I want God's word to revive us as we go into this, this season. Verses 13 to 17. Now this is Jesus' most prominent teaching on government. 
Really, really powerful passage. I'm not gonna get into all of it, but again, we're asking who has my heart? And look what Jesus does. His most prominent teaching comes from certain religious and political leaders trying to trap him. And look what he says, starting in verse 13. It says, and they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. Verse 14, and they came and said to him, teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion. For you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the word of God. Okay, let's stop there. That is the essence of flattery. <laughs> that is insincere praise. Teacher, we know you're so wise and so good. You're not swayed by the, by the thoughts and appearances of man. And they're basically saying, we don't believe any of that, right? But Jesus is not, a, he's aware of all this. And they ask him this. Look what they ask him. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? So what, is he, what are they doing? Why is this a trap? Because right now there's a crowd and there's uh, government officials, Roman guards, and they know that if he, depending on how he answers this, he could really set himself up. If he says, do not pay taxes to Caesar, in other words, do not honor the government, do not pay taxes to the government, then he would be held in rebellion towards the government, could actually be tried for treason. And so they try to set him up that way. But if he says, yes, pay to the government, and this government oppresses the very people of God, it could appear as if he is compromising his devotion to God. So that's what they're hoping to get him on. Let's take a side here, but what does the wisdom of God do? <laughs> Verse 15, he says, but knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius. I wish I had a coin. It's a local coin of the day. He says, bring me a coin. He says, let me look at it. And they brought one and he said to them, Whose likeness, so important, whose likeness or whose image and inscription is this? And they said to him, it's, it's Caesar's. Verse 17, and Jesus said to them, listen, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. They marveled at him. Now, why did they marvel? <laughs> because Jesus presented a revolutionary teaching on how Christians relate to government. <laughs> He does not pick sides and says, he says, as Christians, you are submissive citizens to your local government, but your ultimate allegiance is to God. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, but give to God what is God's. We'll get into next week the importance of honoring those that are in a, a, a different places of authority. But, God, but Jesus is clear. Give to them what is due to them, but make sure you give to God what is due to God. What does that mean? That means there are some things that belong to Caesar and there are some things that belong to God. And do not give to Caesar what belongs to God. Do not put your hope, trust, and allegiance into Caesar because he's not worthy of it. Only God is worthy of that. What, how, how does he explain this, right? He says, he takes a coin. He says, look at this coin. What do you see on it? He says, I see the likeness or the image of Caesar. And he says, that's right, so give him that. He says, but give to God what is God's. What is he doing, right? Well, here's what I think's happening. I think when he takes the coin and there's an image on it, he says, whose image is on this coin? Caesar. Caesar's worthy of this coin because his image is on it. God is worthy of your life because his image is on you. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Give him his coin. Honor him. Respect him. But you give your life to the Lord because you bear his image. You give your heart to the Lord. You put your ultimate trust in the Lord. You put your ultimate hope in the Lord. You do not put it in Caesar. Do not give to Caesar what rightly belongs to God. 
There's no other man who, when I was dead in my sins, came and shed his blood for me. There's no other man that can fix the depravity of man's heart. There's no other man who is worthy to open the scrolls and administer God's justice to see the new heavens and new earth. There's no one who laid down his life for me except King Jesus. No one is worthy of your heart fully or my heart except the Lord. That's what he's teaching here. And as Christians, we gotta, we gotta be able to walk and say, okay, I honor my government, but my primary allegiance, no, that belongs to Jesus. That belongs to you. That's how you get free from all of the worry, anxiety, and all the chaos that's going on right now. And I'll, I wanna share more of this next week. You know what one of the issues is too? I feel that what happens is as a church, we look so much to Caesar instead of God, we start depending on Caesar, meaning the government, to do what the church should be doing. So we look to the government to feed the poor. We look to the government to take care of the orphans. We look to the government to deal with abortion. That should be the church. <laughs> We've been given that mandate. We've, of course we want officials that are, that are helping us, but at the end of the day, that's not where it stops. Don't look to Caesar to do what the God has mandated the church to do. That's our responsibility. Does that make sense? <laughs> give to Caesar what is Caesar, but we give to God what is God's. We give to God what is God's. All right, turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 8. You guys following me? The question, who has my heart? <laughs> who has my heart? Does this king have your heart? So much bigger than just a position for election. No other leader is worthy of your heart. But here's what I find in myself. As broken people, we're, we're, we're prone to still put our heart, our trust, our hope in man. You know what Psalm 146.3 says? Do not trust in princes. Do not trust in human beings who cannot save. Do not do that. But yet somehow we still have a tendency to anchor ourselves and we don't even realize it. Listen, when we talk about being revived by the word of God, especially on tough topics, this is so important. What do I mean? We need to let the word of God do two things. One thing it does is it confirms us. Meaning there are things and convictions that we have that when we get before the word, we find out that was true. That's, that's a biblical principle. Therefore, we should be passionate about it. But we also need to open ourselves up to know that the word of God will not just confirm us, but it will also confront us. There are biases and idolatries and, and blind spots that we all have, especially in the realm of politics. We tend to travel in circles that only see the way that we see. And sometimes that's not always, always right. We've got to get in the word to say, man, let the word of God like really speak to me about things, God. I want to, I don't want to know your word, your voice. And so we do not put our trust in princes or man. But nevertheless, we see over and over that we have a tendency to do this. And 1 Samuel chapter 8 is one of these great examples of this. And this is kind of the last scripture I share with you, but I'll break open a few things here. But 1 Samuel chapter 8, I'm going to be looking, not reading all of it, but verses 4 to 18. 1 Samuel chapter 8, the, the, the people of God have said, listen, we want, we want to be like the nations. We want an earthly king over us. This is so important. And Samuel, who is their, the primary voice for God to the people, he's the primary, uh, he's the mediator. He's the one who speaks to them. Samuel's absolutely grieved over this request. And listen to this, look at verse 7. I'll just highlight a few verses here. Verse 7 of 1 Samuel chapter 8. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. Very important. The Lord says, do what they say, but just know this. 
They haven't rejected you, Samuel. They've actually rejected me as their king. And in the next few verses, verses 10 to 17, I won't read it. But God has Samuel tell the people, listen, give them what they want. Give them an earthly king. If that's where they want to put their hope and trust in, go for it. But tell them this. This is what's going to happen when they ask for someone to rule over them outside of me. And, and you can read it for yourself, verses 10 to 17. It says, there will be wars, and the kings will make your sons fight in wars that they don't even want to fight in. <laughs> Sound familiar sometimes? <laughs> it says, they will come around, and they will take the best of your crops, of your harvest, all of your labor. They'll just come and take a tenth of it, and you can't say anything about it. They'll tell your sons and daughters what their future should look like. They'll put them in careers that they want. Now, what do we, what do we learn? Does that mean government is bad? No, I think actually government can be a beautiful instrument. But what we're finding out is, is, is the dangers of rejecting God and looking to man. And God says, these will be the things that will happen. And then finally in verse 18, I just want you to see this. Verse 18, the Lord says this. And in that day you will cry out because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourselves, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. What is he saying? He says, you will regret putting your trust in an earthly king. He says, you will regret that. I'll give you what you want, but there is no one like me as a leader in your life. And you know what happens? The very next king, or the first king is Saul. Saul disobeyed the word of God. He damaged the people of God. He defamed the glory of God. It's pretty clear Saul was a bad king. Up comes David. Well, David, it's a man after God's own heart. Here's a good king. And David did incredible things. Incredible things. But you know, David had some major shortcomings. Do you know that one time David sinned by taking a census of his army? You know what it led? It led to 70,000 men dying. 70,000 men dying. Can you imagine a governmental official standing before his nation and saying, look, I made a choice and we just lost 70,000 young men. What's the point? Israel learned a hard lesson. And just after their first two kings, they learned that both bad kings and good kings will let you down. Even the best of kings, even David, and how great he is, and he was a great king, even he will let you down. But there is one king who will never let you down. There is one king who will never let you down. Give to David, give to Saul, give to Caesar your coin, but do not give your heart to him. Because at some point he will fail you. And one of the things that I love as a teacher of the word is to see the gospel come to life through the word of God. I love, I love seeing all how every theme of the Bible at some point, it leads to Jesus. At some point you either see something that we lost, something that we gained back from him, somehow Jesus became a substitution for us. At some point you see every theme and one of the themes you see the gospel is the government. It's one of the most beautiful things. Man has rejected God as king, looked to man as king, but ultimately Jesus comes as the true king. I want you just to, just to hear this and we'll close out here. I want you to hear how the gospel comes so to life through this and who's worthy of our heart. If you go back to the beginning, to Adam, I actually believe we have a picture of government right from the beginning. God gives Adam a measure of dominion. He gets to exercise authority on earth. We get to see a picture of how beautiful it is when man rightly is accountable to God and stewards what God has given him. Government has the potential to be a beautiful instrument by the Lord. But then as sin enters in, we see the destruction of it. And when you go to the book of Kings or the book of Judges, you know what you find? One of the most common phrases that's used to describe the kings and judges is they did evil in the eyes of the Lord. The book of Judges actually says that every judge did evil in the eyes of the Lord. 
In other words, there was no king, no judge, no matter how great they may have been, that could rightly lead the people. And the people suffered greatly for this. And so one of the dominant themes that comes out in the scriptures, starting the Old Testament, is that people are longing for a king. They're longing for a righteous king, a just judge that could lead them rightly. And on steps the scene in the New Testament, Jesus Christ, who is the King of Kings. His name is the second Adam. He restores and shows us what it really looks like to lead by humbly laying down his life for us. He's the one that everyone has been longing for. But you know what's so sad is that when Jesus comes, many rejected him. Just as they rejected God's leadership in the Old Testament, they rejected Jesus in the New Testament. You know what's fascinating is if you look at Jesus' um, trial, when he stood on trial, I just want you to picture this. The king of kings was on trial and stood before Pontius Pilate and before the, the, the religious leaders and some of the political leaders. And I never realized that one of the dominant themes of his trial is his kingship. Pontius Pilate actually asked at one point, he says, are you the king of the Jews? And he says, you said so yourself. And then when it comes down to a point where they release Barabbas, a criminal, instead of Jesus, and the people of God cry out to crucify him, Pontius Pilate says, what shall I do with your king? And you know what their response was? We have no king but Caesar. Can you imagine that? The king of kings stood before them. The one that their hearts had longed for was here to liberate them in every way. And they said, that's not our king. We have no king but Caesar. We rather identify with a foreign ruler who oppresses our people than with the true king who's, who's, who God has sent for us. Can you imagine that? And what did Jesus do? Did he fight back like the leaders of this world? Before the crowd, did he make his pitch of how strong he is and why we should believe in him? <laughs> What did he do? He didn't, he didn't assert himself through political aggression. He laid down his life. He laid down his life. He didn't even say a word. He wouldn't even open up his mouth by the end. He laid down his life for us. And here's the beauty is they thought they had killed him, but they didn't realize that the inauguration of Jesus was not set in motion by an election, but by his execution. <laughs> by actually putting him to death, he says, no man takes my life, I give my life. And I am the true king. And you've never seen leadership like this. I'm going to lay down my life for you to set you free. And we belong to this king first and foremost. Praise the Lord that we belong to him. And he operates according to a different kingdom. That's what I want us to understand. Do you know, we, we belong to a different kingdom. And our job as Christians is to reflect that kingdom first before any nation. Paul said it this way. Paul says, I'm a citizen of heaven before I'm a citizen of Rome. Very, very important. Does that mean Paul is saying it's not important to citizenship? No. If Paul was here today, I believe he would say, guys, you know, we're going to talk about the right thing to do when it comes to voting. He's going to get into all that. But Paul's saying, but here's proper order. Before I ever see myself as a citizen of Rome, I'm first a citizen of heaven. And our job as Christians is not to propagate the values of America. It's actually to propagate the values of the kingdom. Our job is to promote kingdom values over American values. That's our primary role, guys. Like, I love my country, I celebrate it, but our role is to first be citizens of heaven that reflect that kingdom first. Why is that important? You say, well, that was Rome. This is America. We're a Christian nation. Isn't it the same? Well, this is a whole nother discussion, but I'll leave you with this. Is America a Christian nation? Are American values the same as kingdom values, guys? 
I mean, really, do we see what Jesus taught about the kingdom? Is that the same of any? No, you know what our hope is? Revelation eleven five 5, that all kingdoms will eventually become his kingdom. That's our hope, that all nations will not look more like America as much as we love this nation. Our hope is that all will eventually look like his kingdom. So is America a Christian nation? Because I think that's a big thing we get stuck on. Say, well, when we, when we promote America first over, over God's kingdom, aren't we doing the same thing? No. Depends what you mean. Is America a Christian nation? Does that mean that at one point when this nation was founded, we had founding fathers who believed that the best way to have government was to create a system that was primarily accountable to God, and therefore we create a system that allowed for freedom because man was first and foremost governed from within before he had to be governed from without? Then absolutely. Then we will forever then be categorized as a Christian nation. If we mean that we have more, the, the, the number one confessing religion, confess religion in, in America is Christianity. If that's how we define it, then yes, you could say that. But if the definition of America being a Christian nation is if you want to be a citizen, you must confess Jesus Christ as Lord, do we do that? No. If being a Christian nation means that our primary institutions and academic universities teach from a biblical worldview and it trickles down from there, are we a Christian nation? Not even close. If being a Christian nation means that our primary governmental officials lead according to the word of God, and give law according to the truths of God and filter all things from that lens. Are we a Christian nation? Not even close. And so we just need to be careful. We need to understand where our primary allegiance is. Our job is to propagate and promote the values of the kingdom first. And then from there, we value and we take seriously what God has entrusted us. Because listen, we do have a great grace. And we have a, an incredible opportunity coming up in a week and a half to see Christian values further promoted even in our government. And that's a beautiful thing. But let's, let's make sure that our hope and our allegiance is set in the true king. Amen? Where I don't know if Ray's here. Ray wants to put, put music on for a second. I want to just close this out in prayer. Jesus, Jesus said in John 18, verse 36, he said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. What does he mean? Is he saying, guys, you know, you're lucky. If my kingdom was right here, it would be different. But it's off in a distant planet. Is that what he means by another world? No, no, no. He's saying my kingdom doesn't operate like this world. And if it did... I would call them to fight because that's the way this world operates. That's the, way you, that's the way you're promoted in the kingdoms of this world. But my kingdom's different. We lay down our life. And I just, I want to I pray for us. And I just want to pray for the next week and a half that our hearts, that's actually, Ray, if you don't mind, that's, I'm sorry. If it's just instrumental, that'd be fine. If not, that's all right, no problem. I want to just pray for us, guys, that our hearts would be set in right perspective as we go into this election season. So if you would just bow your heads with me. I'm gonna ask actually Vicky and Don to come up as well. And after I pray, if any of them wants to pray something, they can. If not, then we'll close out. But my question before we move forward into next week is who has your heart? 
This is bigger than just seeing this election rightly. It's about your eternal position. And if you've looked to princes and you've looked to man, you've looked to self, there's no one who can save you but him. And I encourage you even this morning that you would yield your heart wholly and fully unto the King of Kings, Jesus. And there's no magic formula. It's a man or a woman who just says, Lord, I don't want to lead my own life anymore. I don't want to look to any other person anymore. It's led me more broken than before. But Lord, I yield my life this morning to you. And so if that's, if that's where you're at, you can even begin to dialogue with the Lord yourself. You don't even need a person to lead you in that. And I just pray, God, for those that are here this morning who have never, who have never surrendered their lives so that you'd be king over their heart, I pray it would happen here, Lord. And Lord, I pray, I pray, Lord, that we would be a church that's speaking truth according to your word. Lord, revive us according to your word. Confirm things that need to be confirmed on this topic and then confront us where we need to be confronted, Lord. All of us, so that we would look more like you and we would speak truth. And I pray for those, God, that are bound in worry, fear over what, what the outcome may be. God, I pray today, Lord, as they lift their eyes up, they would see the one seated on a throne. As they go home tonight, they would see the one seated on a throne. As they go to work tomorrow morning, they would see one seated on a throne. Father, I just thank you for an open heaven. I thank you that you are seated on the throne. I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for Jesus. And I thank you for the Holy Spirit who's here right now. Holy Spirit is here right now, right now. Whatever you're struggling with, whatever it is, whatever it is, he is all that you need. Jesus is all that you need. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would breathe life upon your people right now in Jesus' name. I pray, Holy Spirit, a fire would put a fire in our hearts, oh God, right now. That, Lord, we just lift our hands and we cry out from the depths of our hearts. We need you and only you, Jesus. He is the healer. He is the deliverer. And all you need is in him. Lord, we lift our hearts. We lift our hands. We lift us ourselves completely up to you. We yield now to the Holy Spirit. We're not afraid. We're not afraid. We're not afraid. We thank you for the love of Jesus poured out in our hearts right now in Jesus' name. 
And I'm going to encourage each and every one of you right now, whatever that is, whatever that looks like to you, just give it up now. Reach out to him and say, Jesus, you are all that I need. You are all that I need. That there's a breakthrough for you if you're willing to do that right now in Jesus' name. Father, I thank you for your body. I thank you for Jesus Christ, who is the head of that body. I thank you for your Holy Spirit, who teaches us, who fills us with the power, who comforts us. Father, I pray you would touch your people today. Fill them with the Holy Spirit. You are my children. I see your struggles. I see what troubles you. Look to me, for I, I am Jesus. I am the answer. Release the fire, Lord. Release the fire over your people. Touch them, Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Amen. So if anyone would like to come up uh, for prayer, Vicky and Don are up here if, you, if you'd like to. If not, bless you guys. And um, we love you guys. Really so encourage you guys are out here. <laughs> Hopefully next week we'll have a little bit warmer weather. And uh, we'll see you throughout the week. Prayer sets, study. But really, if there's anyone who needs prayer, if the Lord's speaking something to you, please come up and receive prayer, all right? God bless you guys. Have an awesome, awesome day.